0: There we go. All right. Okay, so um, hopefully next week we'll finish up our series in uh, second, First, and Second Corinthians. So we've, we've taken a while. We've been in this for a while. And it's a series we've called Messy Church. And if you've been with us uh, through this series, then you, you know why. Because the uh, church in Corinth was very messy, a lot like ours. And so then we're going to head over to first uh, to Ephesians chapter six ten through twenty because we're going to do a series on spiritual warfare, and it's because we're in a spiritual war. Uh, so I think that'll be uh, relevant, and if you want to jump over there and start looking at that a little bit, and um, there's some some books we'll we'll have that we can recommend for people that want to look at that. I want to mention that uh, on Wednesday nights, um, for those who are in the adult Bible study will be moving into the chapel for a midweek celebration that will include a time of worship, teaching, testimony and prayer. Now, I know during the month of September we're going to have a a parenting class and that will be I believe in here Uh, but there are some people that want to continue going to the Bible study and so that will be in the the chapel uh, for those of you who would like to be part. And I did want to mention I think it's important for us because this is important to our church. Celebrate Recovery will be taking a short break, and then moving back to Thursday nights, and we're we're prayerfully contemplating exactly when the best time to do that. It might be October or November, but that will be uh, is to be determined. So just keep those things in mind in prayer. So as, as I begin, I wanna um, I wanna read a quote by uh, Jim Simbola in the book called Spirit Rising. And see, see if you like this. See if you agree with this. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit changing our lives and our local assemblies. We need it spreading throughout our towns and cities, spreading so Christ can be glorified. May that be our prayer today. Send the fire, God. Burn, penetrate, change, renovate, illuminate. Do as you promised as we wait in Christ's name. Father, we just pray that you would send the fire of your Holy Spirit and bring revival to our dry and thirsty land. We sometimes hear of little pockets. We hear of great things you're doing in other places. Sometimes we experience great things right here, but we are in desperate need, oh God, not only do you to begin something, but to continue it. Because even if we have a, a glorious visitation in one day. We need you every day. And only you can sustain it and carry it forward. So we look to you, even as we come to the end of our study in Corinthians. Father, we want our heart to turn to you to do a great work, which we have every reason to expect that you will, because only a great work will carry the gospel to the end of the world. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Just so you know, as we walk through this, where I really want to get um, is the last couple of verses in this passage. We read it, and kind of hard to piece all that together. And you're probably, maybe sometimes, I know some of you think like this while the scriptures being read. You're like going, "Hmm, I wonder where he's going with that." So I really want to get to the last couple of verses, and I want to get to something that I think might stand in the way of great revival, and that is our sin. And sin is a hindrance, it's a deterrent, it blocks the flow of God's power. And so eventually, even as Paul's coming to the end of his letter, he wants to get to some some pretty heavy stuff. He's dealt with some very heavy things as he's gone through uh, this book, uh, through this letter and his letters to these people. So I my, my sermon title and the leading idea is kind of like this. There's some stuff we need to deal with in order that revival might come. So there's some stuff we need to deal with as a church. There's some stuff that you need to deal with as an individual so that you might be a part of that and that we might experience a work of God that would be uh, categorically described as a revival or amazing, an outpouring of God's Spirit. So I want to give you a couple of examples of things that hinder progress. These are just little examples, but maybe you'll remember and you'll kind of see that on the spiritual realm, God has to do the same thing. But like, I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm working, I don't like clutter. And so if I'm working and there's a bunch of stuff on my desk, even in my room, it just gets on my mind and I have to stop because it keeps distracting me and it bothers me. So I clean off my desk, even clean my room before I, like when I'm doing sermon prep, stuff bothers me. And I want to focus on that. So I, I've got to get rid of that stuff so I can get on to the, the task at hand. So clutter and mess bothers me. And then, I don't know if you've ever had the wonderful um, experience of having your dog get sprayed by a skunk. And can I tell you something that's worse than having your dog get sprayed by a skunk? It's when he immediately comes in the house. And then he's like, he leaves the stink of a skunk for days and it's, uh, it's pretty bad. And that, that stink on that skunk brings it into your house and it makes a living very uncomfortable. And you stink. You don't even realize it. You get used to it and you go out somewhere and you start walking up to someone and go, you smell a skunk? Yeah, that's me. Um, let me tell you another little thing that can create big problems. Sometimes you can have a little, a little cut and it gets infected. And that little cut and that infection could lead to blood poisoning, which could kill you. You think, oh, it's just a little cut. I don't need to clean it or wash it. But an infection, even on the littlest cut, if it gets into your bloodstream, could then go to your heart. It could be life-threatening. I want to tell you about another little thing that happened, but it was extraordinary at the moment and. Uh, quite a while back, we lived in Roanoke, Virginia, and we were going to um, Steak and L. It was our anniversary. so excited we'd go there and we enjoyed an amazing dinner at Steak and L. But about five hours later, huh, I had food poisoning. And that wonderful d- dinner was f- forgotten. And a little bit a little bit of food that was toxic into my system and I was violently sick for, I don't know, several hours, but I was weak, weakened for several days. Um, And I just want to say that sin's a little like that. If something bad gets hold of you, it can create problems. If something bad gets inside of you, it can cause great and lasting harm and even kill you. And this is true physically, but it's also true spiritually. So you cannot allow sin to fester in your soul without doing great harm. If you don't get it out, in the end it will kill you. And that's the gospel. The gospel is that we have sin in our lives, and unless you get it out, it will kill you. That's the principle of the Bible, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I I want to... I want to work our way to the, to the closing comments here. So the first thing I want to mention in this passage is Paul was uncomfortable having to defend his calling as an apostle, but he was willing to do it for God's sake. And we've been on this and it's a long stretch, so we've already talked about this somewhat. I don't need to go, re- go back and repeat it, but in verse 11 he says, I have been a fool and you have forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. So Paul was saying... Really, that those who personally experienced Paul's ministry firsthand should have been the first ones to defend his integrity as an apostle. And he genuinely did not see himself as being some special, fantastic person. He says, later, I am nothing. But he knew that he had a special call from God upon his life and he would seek to fulfill his duty. And so, that's the same approach that we should take. Fully embrace and doggedly fulfill our assignment from God. And I think Terry was calling it an unqualified yes. That when God says, this is what I want you to do, we should say, okay, Lord, I'll take the assignment given to you by me. And I won't let people come and take that from me. And they may accuse me, but I'm going to take what you've given to me and I'm going to carry out this assignment given to me by you. There's a a quote I had, I forgot who said it so I had to go back and look it up but it's by Edward Hale and it's, um, it says I cannot do everything but still I can do something and because I cannot do everything I will not refuse to do the something I can do I'll, I'll do what I'm, told, I'm called to do I can't do everything but just because I can't do everything doesn't mean I'll not do something I'll do the something given to me by God and it's a beautiful posture. Remember when Moses was saying something like this in Exodus 4, when God was calling Moses and saying, Lord, um, I stutter, send Aaron. You remember it's like, I'm not the best qualified. And the Lord said, you are because I'm sending you. And he says, no, that's okay if Aaron goes along with you. You need to do what I'm calling you to do. And, and Paul was like that. Paul had a mission from God, and when Paul looked at himself, he kind of thought, yeah, I'm probably not the the right person. But when he heard from God, he knew that he had to carry out his ministry. And so he had to defend his ministry against his accusers. Okay, secondly, God performed the signs of a true apostle in Paul's ministry in Corinth and in all the places where he had carried the gospel message. God affirmed his calling. He validated, if he was going to give him this really important role, then he manifested some really important signs that he was the right man, that he was called of God. And it's very important when someone has a role that they can validate their role and they can give some kind of evidence or manifestation that they're not just calling themselves to do this thing. In verse 12 he says, "...the signs of a true apostle." "...were performed among you with utmost patience and signs and wonders and mighty attacks." It's like, so obviously there must be some kind of signs. He said the signs of a true apostle were performed. And so we're kind of like going, what, what are those signs? How do we know to recognize a true apostle? How do we know to recognize someone that's truly called by God? Anyone could claim to be an apostle, but what proof or evidence could back up their claim? So God affirmed all the apostles... One of the ways he did it was by extraordinary works, wonders, and mighty works. In Acts chapter 15, after being out on their missionary journey, in verse 12, they came back to Jerusalem and they said, "Why?" Well, they reported all the wonderful signs and wonders God had done. And it confirmed their, their life calling. Um here's some other things that we would look for. If you're looking for a leader and you're trying to think because every time you go to a church, you're kind of looking at the leadership of that church. So here's some qualities or you you get involved in a ministry and you're looking at those who are leading the ministry or someone who's leading a Bible study and you're going to you're going to listen to them and let them teach you or someone who's in a leadership role, there's certain things that you should be able to see. And it would be a great danger if these things are missing. But here's some things that you wouldn't notice in reading the New Testament about the Apostles. You would notice their changed lives. And their Christ-like character. And their prayers. They were clearly men of prayer. And their bold proclamation of the gospel. Fearless proclamation of the gospel. And their Christ-centered teaching. They always brought Christ to the center. And their confirmation by the other apostles. The other apostles affirmed them and said yeah. You remember when Paul first became an apostle it's like the first they're like going oh we don't know this is the guy who persecuted the church and then it says but Barnabas brought me to meet all of them and after witnessing him share his faith and his boldness and how much he knew they could see that he was a changed man and they watched the anointing of God on him. And it's like man this guy's This guy's really serving God. And uh, he had the confirmation of the other apostles. And then the results are fruit in their ministries. And Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. And someone who's really doing God-honoring ministry will bear fruit in their ministry because then you'll see the gospel going forward and people's lives are changing and um, people are growing in their likeness to Christ. And, And then... Willingness to suffer for Christ's cause. Jesus said to his disciples, and he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, It says, if you really want to follow me, then you're going to be treated the way I've been treated. And you're going to be persecuted at times. The way the prophets were, and Jesus was saying, in the way that I'm persecuted. And so the apostles were fearless, and they suffered greatly. There's some places in the world that if you haven't been persecuted, maybe even in prison, then they probably think you're they're not sure yet that you're qualified for the ministry. It's like, well, you haven't even been to prison yet for your faith. Like, yeah, I know. I haven't had a chance. Well, you will. And so there are places where they literally question your call to the ministry and your love for God if you haven't been persecuted. I mean, violently persecuted. But Paul and met that test and then lastly one of the things that seemed to go along with this calling was a personal encounter with the risen savior and all the apostles had that all the original 12 they had seen that and then you remember in Acts chapter 1 they're trying to debate now who will take Judas's place and he said well it's got to be someone that's been with Jesus from the beginning to after his resurrection someone who's very familiar with with Jesus and has personal experience of the risen, the risen Savior. And then Paul, on the road to Damascus, had a personal experience with the risen Christ. So he met that credential. And so those are just some of the things that Paul could check off. And I just hope there's some things in your mind. And, and I say this very, um, I say this in a very, um, I, I started to say a humbling way, but. Yeah, it just it, it's, it's, I have to be able to say in some way that if you don't see some of this in me and your elders and your deacons, go somewhere else. If you don't see something, I, we, we will never meet First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 or the biblical qualifications for leadership. We'll never meet them perfectly. Only Jesus. Even Paul didn't. Only Jesus. But if you don't see that your leaders are headed in that direction and they're not violently disqualified or patently disqualified, he says, then I would recommend you go somewhere where you find someone that is qualified. And I would hope that if I found myself not qualified, that I would be the first one to step out. Okay, and so that's what we see in Paul and he's like, he's kind of hurt. It's kind of hurt that the Corinthians didn't know they didn't know this and see this in him. It's like kind of hurt his feelings. It's like, guys, why, why, why? It's crazy that I'm having to do this in front of y'all, just because these false teachers came in and now they're saying I'm not a real apostle. You saw you were with me. You're the very ones that should validate, be able to validate your experience with me. Okay, so number three. Sometimes Paul used a little sarcasm to make his point. This should have been obvious. Um, I know some people can be overly sarcastic, you know that person? You that person? Sometimes I'm a little sarcastic, maybe. But it's not it's it's okay to sometimes be sarcastic because Paul he kind of made a, a little joke. Um in verse 13 he said, for in what for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. In other words, they were accusing Paul of he must not be a big hitter because he doesn't charge a big fee. It's kind of like that's kind of their comments. Like, oh, he's not that important. It's like he's not like, you know, if you get a big speaker into church, you're going to have to pay a big speaker fee. But Paul's almost free. He must not be too doing too good. He can't even demand a big fee. And Paul turns it to a joke and he says, oh, yeah, forgive me for not charging you more. Forgive me when I come to minister, you I had to send you a bill. And he's just kind of calling them out for this apparent accusation. Now, number four, Paul was planning his next visit to Corinth, and he had some matters of great concern to clear up before coming. So in verses 14 to 19, he starts dealing with some things. Well, before I get there, I want you to think about this, and then when I get there, we're going to deal with this. That's kind of what he's that's kind of the summary of of the last paragraph. It's like, well, before I get there, um, there's some things that you guys need to get right. And then when I get there, there's probably some more things we're going to have to confront. So in verse 14, he says, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. So Paul had been twice and now he's going to return to them and visit them and he needs to spend time with them. And then he says, um, I won't be a burden I will not seek what is yours, but you. It's like I'm not after your money, I want you. I wanna to talk to you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. It's kinda of like, um, it's kinda of like, it's not typical for a parent to charge their six year old rent. And when they get to be about 22, you probably ought to. And they're still up in your basement in 32, then you got a problem. Okay, I know some of you, maybe someone here is living in your parents' basement, and you go, please don't do that to me. It's like, grow up. <laughs> I mean, there comes a time when you, you move out, and you grow up and you take adult responsibilities. But you don't charge a six-year-old. You know, that's like Paul saying, and, and Paul's saying, you're my spiritual children. I'm not coming there to charge you. You're young in the faith, and I'm coming there to help you. So he says, whatever these accusers are saying to me, um, he sort of um, calls, them, calls them out for... Um, their accusations they were making. Okay, and then he says, um, then he says, well, if you want to know the truth, in verse 15, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I love you more, am I to be loved less? So, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm not coming to raise funds. I'm not coming to gain support. I just want to talk to you because I love you and I have some concerns. And it's very endearing. Okay, and then he says, um, then he mentions, I think probably someone made an accusation. He talks about Titus and some companion of Titus that had visit. And apparently when Titus was there, they took up money because there was a famine back in Jerusalem. And many of the Christians were taking up money and they were helping other Christians in other places. And so probably the accusation was, hey, I bet Paul's taking a big cut of that. And Paul's like saying, no, I don't, even, I don't ever see the money. They come and they take the money where it's being sent. And there's two of them so they can keep each other accountable and that sort of thing. Have you all heard of money scandals in churches? Yeah. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, there's no money scandal here. You can follow. I'm open book. Come check our books. And a lot of, a lot of ministries. Um, A lot of ministries, it happens all the time that people in ministry are called out for their lavish living and they're um, taking money from people who donate and suddenly they have these million dollar homes and jets and fancy cars and they live like millionaires and they are millionaires. And if you knew anything about Paul's life, Paul had nothing. He gave everything to the work of the gospel. And so you, you couldn't see that he was doing that or that he was being accused of. Okay, so, um, and then I want to mention that Paul dealt with a lot of sin at Corinth. And that's where the last thing I want to talk about um, he had to deal with a lot of sin. You remember back in, in chap in 1 Corinthians 6? And Paul described, I always love 1 Corinthians 6 because it describes our church. And he says, Do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And he says, Listen to the kind of people that won't inherit the kingdom of God. He gives a list. A, sometimes called a catalog of sins. Sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So he says, here's all the people that won't go to heaven. And then he says, in the very next verse, and such were some of you. He's like, that's good good old church folk. Good old church folk would never go to heaven. And he says, but you were washed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Homosexuals, drunkards, thieves, liars, greedy drunkards were washed. But not until they had owned up to their sin." You can't expect God to forgive you of something you won't confess. You can't expect to be cleansed of something you won't call dirty. And when he comes to the end, Paul says, We got work to do, my friend. We got a gospel to carry to the ends of the earth, but you got some mess you need to you need to get rid of. And that's what he's calling us to. And then he describes part of the mess is the way they treat each other. In the church, look at verse um, 20. He says, I'm afraid, I fear that when I come, I might find some stuff's not so good. Um, there's pro- I'm probably going to find relationships in the body of Christ that involve quarreling, Christians quarreling with each other, jealousy, anger, people are mad at each other, hostility, slander, people are saying things about each other, gossip, conceit, disorder. And if Paul were here today, he'd say the exact same thing right here. He said, folks, I hear at Webster, there's some people that are mad at each other. There's some people saying things about each other. Right here at Webster, there's, there's um, people are haughty. And there's some dissension, quarreling. Some people super jealous about, I didn't get up front. How come that person made the worship team? How come this person gets to teach that Sunday school class? I should be head of that committee. And Paul was saying, we've got to get rid of that mess. How are you? What a joke that you come to church and you ask for revival and you don't even treat each other with love those go hand in hand and so and then he goes on and he talks for a moment about there's some mess in the church between Christians and can, can I say this this is not at all surprising one of the hardest things I discovered upon becoming a Christian was getting along with Christians. Because the closer you get to someone, the more you realize they're not perfect. And you're real disappointed. And you get upset. And you get mad and you start getting mad at your brothers and sisters in Christ because they're not perfect. And guess what? They find out that you aren't either, so they get mad at you. The hardest thing, one of the hardest things for Christians is learning to love Christians. It is hard. And then he goes on to say there's some problems in your church. And he says, and also there's some problems with some individuals who aren't making progress with their sins. And he lists some of the more obvious He says in verse 21, I fear that when I come again, God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn. Like I'm going to break down. It breaks my heart over many. He doesn't say some. He says many. Breaks my heart. I'm I'm weeping before God on my knees, on my face, weeping tears of remorse because some who sinned earlier and have not repented. They're still living in their sins. And he he names a few impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So there's some people who secretly are cheating on their wives, um, looking at porn, getting high. Stealing from people. Oh, they do it in a professional way. So he's saying there's still sin in people's hearts and they're coming to church like nothing matters and they're just walking on as if everything's good and God's saying, I so want to bring revival. Let's get this out. It's an appeal. It's a summons to Revival. It's a summons to experiencing the joy of God. He said, well, we got to get this out. I love Psalm 132. And in Psalm 132 it says, Blessed is he whose sins are forgiven and whose... Um, let me see. Um, no, not 132, 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are pardoned. It's like beautiful. It's like, man, man you want to be, be a happy church? Then get that sin out. You want to be a happy Christian? Then get that sin out. Listen to this. Psalm 32, blessed, happy before God is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There's no more in there. He's confessed it. In whose spirit there's no deceit. He's not going around deceiving people. People think, oh, what a super saint. But deep inside, God knows, no, you're still wallowing in your sin. Get it out. And verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I'm like tired of covering it. It's too heavy of a burden to carry around. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And, And I love, I've always loved Psalm 139, the last two verses. It says, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way within me. Search me, God. Complete, utter honesty before God. And as we close, I want to I read a couple of, couple of things. Um, Richard Blackaby, in um, Hearing God's Voice, he said, His Holy Spirit. L- let me, before I say that, let me, let me say something. You may be sitting there going, how can I do this? How can I reveal? How can I come clean? I mean, people think that I'm up here. What will they think if I'm honest? Truth of the matter is, they might already know you're not entirely honest. You're the one thinking, you fooled everyone. But I, I like, there's a couple of quotes I want to read. Richard and Henry Blackaby wrote this. His Holy Spirit persistently works in our hearts to bring us to repentance. He's, that's what He's doing. He's wanting to bring us. That's what God's saying to you this morning. It's like, church, let's go forward, okay? Let's go forward. Let's do great things for the name and the glory of God. But first, let, let's get this out. Got to get this out. His Holy Spirit persistently works in our hearts to bring us to repentance. With repentance comes forgiveness and restoration. What greater gift could God, could the Holy Spirit give us than conviction, conviction of sin? Because that's going to lead us to forgiveness and restoration. Um, Dallas Willard in one of his books on spiritual disciplines, he said this, Confession is a discipline that functions within fellowship. It's like it's not always just a private thing. It has a role in the fellowship. In it, we let, listen to this, in it, we let trusted others know our deepest weakness and failures. This will nourish our faith in God's provision for our needs through His people, our sense of being loved, and our humility before our brothers and sisters. Thus, we let some friends in Christ know. Who we really are, not holding back anything important, but ideally allowing complete transparency. We lay down the burden of hiding and pretending, which normally takes up such a dreadful amount of human energy. We engage and are engaged by others in the most profound depths of the soul. That's fellowship. That you have people in your life that you love and you're close to them and there's no more pretending. There's no more fear, worrying. They're going to know me and if they do, they're going to reject me because you have been open and honest. And that's what cultivates a healthy, vibrant, body- of Christ and that cleansing opens the door for a movement of God. The Holy Spirit brings guilt. He convicts us in order that He may get the poison out to cover the toxin with grace and to bring new freedom and new peace and new walking with God. Okay, do you understand the principle? You don't need to be afraid to be honest with God and no more generic confessions. Generic confession goes like this. And Father, forgive me of my sins. How about saying, Lord God, forgive me for something when I did when I was younger and I was part of a date rape and a football team because a bunch of girls took advantage, a bunch of guys took advantage of someone. Do you know that's common in high school? you know that's common? Where guys go to a party and they they see a girl and they either give her something to seduce her. Or maybe some of you have had some practices in your business in the past and they weren't all above board. I I don't know what it is. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. I promise you He will. Search me, oh God. If you'll do that, He'll do this. He'll put His finger on it. You just begin by saying, Lord God, search me. I need you. I want that peace. I got to get rid of some things inside that have kept me from experiencing the walk with God that you intended me to have. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would give us courage, oh God, to confess sin. And I pray, God, that it might even begin right here and right now. And I just pray, God, we want we want to be used of you, but we also know that maybe there's some <clears throat> relational matter. God between Christians here today and they just need to ask you forgiveness and own up to their own part and just bring it and confess it to you oh God maybe there's some people that have had some things that they've just struggled with and they're ready to lay it down today oh God and they're ready to make progress and move forward and they just want to they just want to identify a particular sin in their life that's continuals continues to set them back and today they want to identify it and they want to tell someone so that they can help hold them accountable and God I pray that this wonderful peace and happiness that Psalm 32 talks about may be what we experience so that we might then move toward an outpouring a mighty revival of the church of Jesus Christ and that we want and our church wants to be part of it oh God will you come move among us freely And work deeply in our souls that we may know the outpouring of your spirit right here in our time. In Jesus' name, amen.